Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. And for the second week in a row, I have a repeat guest. But this guy, Dr. Leland Stillman, you probably recognize that name if you've been listening to the podcast. I interviewed him back in June of 2021. We spoke a lot about light and how your light environment impacts your health. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty details of who he is or or, or what he's up to, because we'll get to that in a bit. But I will just give you some superficial knowledge just so the new listeners get an understanding of who Dr. Leland Stillman is. He graduated with a degree in environmental health from Connecticut College, earned his medical degree from the University of Virginia, trained in internal medicine at Maine Medical Center. He has worked in over a dozen hospitals and clinics as a traveling doctor, and he spent the early part of COVID working in a rural hospital and later on went viral for speaking out against the lockdown and mandate measures. And actually, that's how I heard about Dr. Stillman. But most importantly for today, Dr. Stillman just released a book called Dying to Be Free, which if you're on YouTube, uh, you'll see the book right behind me. And that's what we're going to really dig in today. So without further ado, Dr. Stillman, thanks for joining the show for the second time. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So let's just jump straight into it. Before we dive into the book, actually, and we kind of talked about this before the recording started. Yeah. So what is new with you since we last uh, had that interview about 13 months ago? What's new in your life? What's new in the world of Dr. Stillman? Yeah. So about 13 months ago, I was running a telemedicine practice in Virginia. I moved down to Florida and have been here for a year now and have been networking and meeting people and watching. It's amazing. Just when I got down here, some people were masked. Most people weren't. You know, Florida is just free and no one's worried about COVID. A big part of that is the light that we get. You know, red and infrared light protect the body from disease, decay. Ultraviolet light destroys viruses, strengthens the immune system through its actions on vitamin D, alpha melanocyte stimulating hormones, endorphins, endocannabinoids, whatever. And now I'm, I'm currently hanging my hat in Naples where I'm working with Dr. Simone Gold to get her new healthcare system up and running called Gold Care, which people can check out. And then in my practice, I'm still taking care of a small number of patients on a concierge level. And then I'm helping more people through health coaches on my team who have hired, who are working with them primarily. And then they go through their labs with me. I'm also working on opening an online community that people should check out where we're going to have a weekly group coaching call with me and my, uh, my friend and colleague, Jim Laird, who's a personal strength and conditioning coach and personal trainer. So it's a lot of exciting stuff way more to offer people than before. And obviously really pumped to launch my book and talk to you about it, which I finally got out the door uh, about a month ago. Yeah, really exciting stuff. So as always, you're up to a lot. You're really busy. And and we even spoke about this a couple of minutes ago with me updating my, my ebook, which seems like a novel or a remedial task, actually takes mm-hmm. a ton of time and energy to do that, yeah. let alone write an entire book like you did. So what was the catalyst for writing this book, Dying to Be Free? Yeah, it was the fact that people didn't seem to understand the connections between their loss of civil and political liberties and decreases in their quality of life and health 
that have then culminated in lower life expectancy, more disease, more disability, more premature death. You know, in my career as a clinician, I went into medical school in 2010. I got out in 2014. I've been practicing now for, I can't believe it, eight years. And what I've seen, even just over the course of my relatively short career, is sicker patients, more diseases, more extreme illness. I mean, we're able to keep people alive for longer and longer with more and more severe disease. And this is why America's GDP is being gobbled up by our healthcare industry, but the healthcare industry is not producing better outcomes. It's just reducing or mitigating death, which in a former system, right, would have happened sooner for these people. This isn't a solution to the health problem. And then what's happened with healthcare bureaucracy is that these bureaucrats say, the solution to our healthcare problems is for you to give us more control over your life, to raise taxes, and to inhibit your freedom more. And that's crazy. Because the reality is that most of my patients who range from, you know, I've got an, an unemployed musician right now, and then I've got like lawyers who run six, seven figure companies, right? Lawyers, CEOs, business owners, whatever. So I have a very broad range of people who come to me for help. And what do they all need more of? They all need more time. And frequently, I mean, they some of them need more like funds to buy different things, right? But at the end of the day, time is money and their, their time and their money are being chewed up by the government. And they're also being then misinformed by the government, which also does tons of things that are really against their best interests. Like, for example, what's happened. And a lot of this is actually public, private mistakes. So like a government body will say something like, oh, we don't have uh, adequate evidence to suggest that people take or, or get prudent sun exposure, you know, enough sun to keep their vitamin D at a healthy, optimal level, right? And then, you know, a, a pr private corporation will look at that and they'll say, okay, well, we're not going to do that, even though, you know, their employees are like, hey, you know, we're reading this information, we're looking at the studies, we'd really like to have some opportunity to go outside during the workday. I mean, I'm amazed at the thought of how much good is done or would be done if employers would just wake up to the power of the sun and give their employees 30 minutes, an hour in the middle of the day, have them come in 30 minutes earlier, have them stay 30 minutes later. But if people got more sun during the middle of the day, it's just one example, we would reduce people's death, overall death and disability, we would improve their quality of life, we'd reduce their diseases. But the government's not, I mean, it's, it's full of these incompetent bureaucrats who never see patients, they don't understand how to interpret studies in the context of clinical reality, not this like bizarre fantasy land that they live in in their ivory tower. And the American consumer is the person who's suffering. So this book is really about all the mistakes that are being made in public health that go way, way, way back beyond COVID. Like if people are waking up to the ineptitude and the corruption of public health in 2020, I have news for you. This has been going on for decades. It is so much worse than people even realize. And so there's a lot of catching up that people need to do in order to protect themselves from these bad public policies and then these bad this bad thinking that's infected the private sector because people in the private sector are not, they don't have the, either don't have the time or the inclination to understand the science. And then the gurus and experts are being controlled and a lot of them are in the government and they're compromised, you know, financially and, and so on and so forth. And so people just have bad information. And this is the solution to that. And I wrote it because I, I see lots of people with pieces of the puzzle, but I don't see them putting all of it together and really talking about all the different factors that are playing into this.
Yeah, like you alluded to, there's many, many, many layers. And I think I'd be like one of the customers you just spoke about where I kind of saw some of these pieces floating around. I, yeah. I've never liked politics, but then you start connecting the yes. dots with health insurance and big pharma and big food and all that, which I'm sure we'll get into. Right. It's always been a disdain for me, that whole, I guess, architecture of a government or of a society we live in. But like, It's ugly. You realize it's a problem, but it's like you don't want to pay it. It's like just like you don't want to spend a lot of time looking at the local busted up double wide. Yep. You know, until it becomes a problem for you. Exactly. And and to your point, the end consumer is the one getting, to put it bluntly, getting screwed, right? I mean, and and that's what I love about your book is you don't pull any punches. You're calling everyone out. You're calling the issues out. You're you're, you're not uh, beating around the bush. So I really appreciate that. And to that point, you're putting yourself out on a limb. You're you're a medical practitioner. You're practicing. You've been censored. And in your book, I want to read this, despite years of training and research, Dr. Stillman has been censored on social media simply for sharing his thoughts on how to live healthier lives. The Federal Trade Commission even threatened to sue him for this for $1.2 million. And so with that yeah. being said, I appreciate you putting this into a book form and really just putting your thoughts out there. And I, I think there's a couple of other places people Thanks. can go to to find you. I forget what they are off the top of my head. Yeah. So best place for my content to, to get like my newsletter is Substack. Uh, which is sub stillmanmd.substack.com. I've got a Telegram channel. It's also under stillmanmd. And then um, on top of that, I am about to launch a locals.com platform because one of the things that came became apparent to me through the pandemic was, you know, 99% of what I do all day is, is actually coaching people. You know, I'm identifying their bad lifestyle habits or their not so good lifestyle habits, and I'm helping coach them into better lifestyle habits. You know, I've spent... I think I've I've written two prescriptions in the last 30 days and that was a lot. So, you know, I even like forget what my like DEA number is because I don't use it hardly ever. What I realized is like a lot of people, I mean, repeating myself in all these calls, like, and, and what people really need is actually a weekly group, group coaching call where we just talk about this stuff. We talk about what's going on in the world. We talk about what's going on in the news. We talk about, you know, how to prepare for, you know, rising food prices because, you know, healthy food was already expensive. Now it's like insane. We talk, I talk about how to like, you know, how to get time outside, how to create your work day, all this other stuff. So I'm starting to do that as well. And that's probably the thing I'm most excited about um, working on in addition to everything else I'm doing. Yeah. You're not busy at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I appreciate it because yeah, people need a resource like that or like you. And and this book is an amazing resource as well. And one of the main themes of the book, I guess I would say, is that well, doctors don't get paid based on performance. They don't get paid to keep you healthier. These massive conglomerates, these massive industries that should be looking right. out for our best health are in a way paid to fail because it That's keeps exactly the hamster right. wheel going. Absolutely. I'm sure you can kind of you know expound on that. But one of my questions to you is. Is our government that ignorant? Like to your point with sun, if we just got outside with the sun, that would mitigate a lot of issues health-wise. Um, yeah. It would save a lot of money. Is our government that ignorant or like fluoride in our water? Is our government that ignorant or are they just that greedy or both? Great question. I think is that you got to unpack what you mean by the government, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting to study the history of science. And that's one reason why I go into the history of medical science in the book, because people don't seem to realize, you know, how ugly the sausage of medical science is. And that's by necessity, right? We're dealing with life and death. So one of the examples I cite in the book is that the first guy to, to, uh, to perform a successful open heart surgery in the experimental stages of his procedure, which is called a mitral valve commissurotomy, 
he ended up you know, like five of his first his five five patients died within 24 to 48 hours of coming off the table. So that's not a great track record, right? He ended up with the name and nickname. I think it was like Bailey the Butcher because he killed so many patients. And people thought he was just crazy. It would never work. But then the sixth patient, right, gets up off the table and lives another 40 or 50 years. And she had a death sentence of a diagnosis. And she was a mother of like two or three kids. So it's very significant that she made it out of the operating room and then lived a long and healthy life. And now we have open heart surgery, right? So we have to allow doctors to be free to do things that other doctors think are crazy and on the face of things seem crazy to the average consumer, right? I mean, where would we be if some nanny stater had said to Oroville or Orville and, and Wilbur Wright, you know, you guys can't fly this plane. Like if you fall on the ground and you break a bone, you'll have to go to the hospital and we'll have, like the taxpayer will have to pick up the bill for you because you're just bicycle repairman. You can't possibly pay to, you know, fix a broken bone, which, you know, ironically is actually pretty cheap because you just set it and then you let the patient heal so long as they're reasonably healthy, right? But anyway, that's a big part of how medical science progresses. So Max Planck, and I'm pretty sure I had this quote in here and it's full detail. He was a Nobel Prize winner in physics in Germany back in the 1900s. He says, said, um, science does not progress because old scientists are convinced that they are wrong and converted to new ideas. It progresses because old scientists die and are replaced by new scientists who are familiar with these new ideas from their youth. And that's really the case. I mean, young people always look at the older generation and they say, wow, you know, I really don't understand why you guys do things that way. We're going to continue doing some of the things that you did the way that you did them because they still make sense to us and they aren't obviously wrong. But a lot of what you're doing is just really obviously wrong-headed. So good luck with that. And that's what happens in, in, in science with medical progress and paradigms. And so it's happened over and over again. The pendulum will swing from here to there with certain therapeutics, like bloodletting is the example that I use in the book where you used to use bloodletting in medicine for everything. You know, somebody came in sick, boom, bleed them, right? That doesn't work. It's not good. You can kill people that way. So obviously we don't do that anymore. But what's happened in modern medicine is doctors have forgotten that there are many patients who actually do significantly benefit from therapeutic lobotomy. And I use that in my practice now on a regular basis. In fact, men over the age of 30, I'm always getting a ferritin level because if I can get that ferritin level down, I will frequently have him coming back and telling me, Dr. Stillman, I feel so much better. I have so much more energy. I'm so glad I donated blood. And that's how you drop that ferritin. You have to literally have the patient go donate blood. And so I started to do this in my practice because patients were feeling better. Their labs were looking better. And I looked at the literature and I saw, wow, this really does provide a uh, mortality benefit. But like I said before, you can't just bleed everybody. Some people absolutely can't tolerate it. And that's something that I always do in consultation with the patient is figure out, you know, are they a good candidate for therapeutic phlebotomy? Most doctors think that's nuts because they just haven't got, been taken through the literature. And I spent probably a year trying to sort out what to do about phlebotomy, bloodletting, and it's it's even evolved in the last six months of my practice. So, yeah. So that's interesting. Let's get to one of the bigger parts of the book, what you dub slavery 2.0, and you also yeah. call it parasitic trio. We got big food, yeah. big pharma, big tech. Again, they're not incentivized to improve our health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And one of the quotes or, or one of your, I guess, paragraphs summarizes it perfectly as far as those three go. It's big food creates diseases that are treated by drugs by big pharma. Big tech provides cover and advertising space for both. And on top of that, I would add between those three, they funnel money like crazy to the government. And that's how, you know, everyone stays happy. 
So I would love for you to kind of just unpack and kind of bring some sobering truths to to the listeners as far as negative ramifications of big food, big pharma, and big tech. Yeah. So I think that the big food piece of this is pretty obvious to people now. I mean, and I remember when I was growing up, there was kind of this divide in the country between the people who were making the food in the Rust Belt and the people who were, you know, the thought leaders and doing a lot of research in academia in, you know, more high tech financial service industry tech centers. What I'm talking about is like, if you go to walk down the street in New York, right, you'll have restaurants that are advertising that they serve gluten-free food. If you go to Fargo, North Dakota, part of the grain belt of the United States, the Great Plains, no one is advertising gluten-free food. So big food has ended up creating all this food that ends up poisoning a certain proportion of the populace. But back when I was growing up, there was still like a huge proportion of the populace who were like, wait a minute, this is the food we've grown up on, the food we've, we've eaten for generations. This can't possibly be bad for us. But big foods made it so bad now that everyone recognizes that a big part of America's problem is how it's eating. Too much sugar, too much processed food, really balanced uh, macronutrient ratios, massive overcaloric consumption, lack of basic understanding of diet nutrition. People don't fast. And people are becoming more and more aware of this because, frankly, there's less and less that they're doing that's healthy. Like 50 years ago, you know, you, you look at photos of people on the beach who are like young and fit and whatever, like the beach looks nothing like it does today. And when I look at that, I think, wow, those people were still eating like fast food. It was on the rise. They were still eating TV dinners. That's like when they were invented. Like you can get away with eating a lot of garbage if you are living right. You're outside, you're exercising, you're not overindulging in tech, and you're generally living something of a natural lifestyle, right? But big food set Americans up for becoming sick once they then got into more and more and more time indoors on their technology devices. And this is one of the big things that people in public health and also the consumer is missing. The sun reduces all-cause mortality, which means the more sun you get, the less disease you have and the less likely you are to die. With things like BioLite, what I'm really using it to do with patients is frequently they're coming to me, they're saying, I got to work nine hours a day. I'm going to be indoors all the whole time. I can take maybe a 10 to 20 minute sun break. And I say, look, you're not getting enough red and infrared light. You need to have a panel that you can get 20 to 30 minutes a day of light so that you're making up for this massive loss of red and infrared light that you're no longer getting from the sun that your granddaddy was because he was out there in the field, you know, threshing corn or whatever he was doing, right? So as we've moved indoors, people have had to get more and more serious about their diet, which is why I'm not surprised that gluten-free diets are popular in a place like New York where everyone lives indoors and has this high-tech lifestyle. And it's slower to take off in places like Fargo, North Dakota, where people are still involved in agriculture and are actually outside, right? And it's really interesting to see how this comes out in like in, in politics because you'll have this like playoff of like red states where they're not like they want to spend more money on corn. And then you got these people over here who are like, well, we got to reduce the population, reduce you know, carbon. So like get rid of all the farmers. And I'm like, who's going to make the food? You know what I mean? So that's the big tech, big tech came up. And then with big pharma, what ends up happening is, you know, as these foods and high tech lifestyles poison people and deprive them of the necessary nutrients. And in the book, I break it down into like Einstein's famous equation, relativity E equals MC squared. At the end of the day, your health is determined by what's coming into your body from outside of it, as well as what's already inside of it. Some of that's matter and some of that's energy. 
So we've removed ourselves from all the natural energies that our bodies are built to thrive on. And we've really changed the matter that we're taking in as far as, you know, how fresh is it? How processed is it? What's the composition of it? Where did it come from? I mean, we can eat a very bizarre diet, eat a very, and lead a very bizarre lifestyle. And invariably, the sickest patients have had the most difficult cases, the least improvement clinically, no matter what we did, it was people who were just ignoring these basic fundamental tenets of health. So then big pharma comes in and cleans up the mess. Not really, right? But what they do is they, all of their drugs are designed in order to break normal physiology in a way that helps you compensate for the disease you have. And like the example I'll use with patients is like the treatment for high blood pressure is to give patients pills that make them pee out more fluid. So there's less pressure in their vascular system. This is akin to saying, okay, your bathtub is overflowing. I'm going to take my nine millimeter pistol. I'm going to put a couple extra holes in the bathtub. And this is the solution for the bathtub overflowing. And this is a really bad solution because then when you want to take a bath, but like if you're short on water, right, all of a sudden, and not to mention that you like flood your house which is one reason why if you actually go back and look in the literature, there's papers showing that the more diuretics you take, that's the drug that does that. The more diuretics you take, the higher your likelihood of death because they cause you to waste minerals like magnesium and potassium that are vital to life. So um, there's all kinds of perverse incentives here. And that's the bottom line with that. The, these three industries have very, very perverse incentives. Healthcare, the industry as a whole, has been regulated by the government in such a way that they are not incentivized to get and keep patients well, let alone do it efficiently. In tech, they're not incentivized to inform, educate, and edify people. And that's why they're dumbing them down with misinformation. They're endlessly entertaining them. I mean, people are, are really having their minds just degraded by the information that's being you know, broadcasted into them. And then there's big food, which is really selling based on weight and selling based on, you know, appearance, right? So they're putting their money into, does it smell, look, feel attractive? And then does it seem like a good deal to the consumer? All of this comes back to the consumer. The consumer is making these decisions and the big losers in the coming years and decades in terms of their health, in terms of their wealth, just in terms of everything you care about. They're all going to be people who do not understand the things in this book. And the winners are going to be the people who understand, oh, okay, wow, this is what it takes to be healthy. This is you know, what really should be determining my decision-making. This is why Joe over there, who's kind of weird and eats a lot of health food, and I really understand what he's talking about. That's why he's bragging to me about how little he spends on his health care. Well, everyone else around me is like, wow, you know, I'm having to like cut back on things I love in order to pay for my rising health insurance premium. Or, you know, I can't believe I got put on this new new medication that's like an arm and a leg, but it's the only treatment for this weird disease I have that my doctor's never seen before. That's the kind of stuff I packed into this book. Did you guys know that it's teeth whitening season? Well, heck, isn't it always teeth whitening season? Who doesn't want to have the whitest, brightest smile in the room? And not just that, but also receive the benefits of red light therapy for the oral cavity at the same time. My company, BioLite, just released our newest product called the Guardian Plus, which implements both blue light for the teeth whitening aspect, but also the red and near-infrared light for the red light therapy aspect for your oral cavity. We're all familiar with blue light 
light for the teeth whitening aspect, but did you know the blue light therapy is also beneficial for selectively killing harmful bacteria, leaving the beneficial bacteria thriving and well, and blue light therapy is also good for gum health and tooth sensitivity. And of course we know the laundry list of things that red light therapy does for the oral cavity, such as gum health and gum pain, infections and inflammation, wound healing, gingivitis, oral mucositis, so on and so forth. So with the Guardian Plus, you get the best of both worlds. And as my devout favorite podcast listeners in the world, I'm giving you guys an exclusive 20% discount on the Guardian Plus for the month of April only. So go ahead and use coupon code Blue Light Podcast to get 20% off your Guardian Plus. That's through the month of April in 2022. You can get 20% off. Go ahead and use coupon code Blue Light Podcast to whiten your teeth and improve the health of your oral microbiome. And another prong with these three industries is what I dubbed fake research, because if they can provide research that is not true, but it sounds good, then we're going to believe it. And, you know, I'll, I'll just read a couple excerpts here. The tech industry is constantly funding new research to cast doubt upon the clear and present danger of wireless radiation. And then with big pharma, research trials are faked and then the cooked data is submitted to the fda which often approves drugs without ever investigating the reliability of the data the pharmaceutical industry owns the data it generates and the public has no right to see it so it's this story over and over again that the consumer the public is in a lose 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 situation which makes it seem like how do we overcome this I'll let you answer that, but it seems like these environmental factors and choices we make is what's going to lead to our freedom. If you choose to go along with the narrative, the big tech, pharma, food, yeah, big tech, big pharma, big food. Yeah. It's your choice, right? You have to take a little extra energy to do your own research to your point. Cause if you don't, then you're going to keep playing along with them. That's kind of a a catch 22. Cause to your point, people don't have time. It's overwhelming. It's difficult. The game is rigged in a way. So how, how do we overcome that, Dr. Stillman? Yeah, the the biggest thing is to make sure that you understand how the game is being played so that you lose. And that's what I put into the book. I can't obviously have put everything in there, but that's why I have this new, um, really exciting weekly group coaching call where I'm going to be sharing a lot of strategies with people so they understand exactly what's going on in the world and in their health. But then beyond that, you've got to make sure you're surrounded by people who understand what's going on. Like the people who are going to sink together are going to sink together. And the people who are going to swim together are going to swim together as things get, you know, progressively worse. And there's so much when you start to open your mind to how the game is rigged against you, where you start to realize, wow, this is how I can succeed and escape. So, you know, for example, I realized in my career that patients were really grossly unhappy with their healthcare. Right. And so what did I do? I started my own practice. Now that's very intimidating because all of a sudden you're saying to people, Hey, you can't use your insurance to come see me. You can use your cash. But patients are so unhappy with their insurance that they would gladly go to a cheaper insurance option that covers less and then pay the money that they've saved with me. And then I'm more efficient than their insurer was. And I'll do things like pass on massive savings to them. Like the lab discounts I get, I mean, I feel bad for people paying even the deep discounts they can get from like, any kind of direct lab testing solution compared to what I can get. I've seen markups 100, 200 bucks on five to 10 tests. And it, which just is amazing. So when people start to realize that everyone's unhappy with the system, the minute you start to offer a solution that solves that pain that they're enduring, 
all of a sudden you've got a better option for them that you're happier with. Because now I can control my light environment. I can control where I work. I can control how many patients and what my work day stress is. So a lot of this is declaring independence from this broken system. And people have been tricked into thinking that they can escape. And that's crazy. You absolutely can. You know, you can opt out of conventional health insurance and go with a traditional a, a healthcare sharing ministry. You know, most of the meds that people come to me on, we can find options that are not more expensive that they can get onto that are supplements or herbs, you know, nutritional supplements or herbs. We can do things with photobiomodulation and UV light and whatever. And all of this ends up adding up. It's like the obvious solution. And that also comes down to also the big thing I'm now stressing with people is you got to find your people. You got to find your community. One of the, the biggest things that I realized during COVID was how emotional support, socialization, positive social interaction really does shape morbidity and mortality. Because when you look at the modeling data done by, I can't remember who did this, but it was a study I reviewed in like November of 2020. So only like seven or eight months into the lockdowns, they were already estimating that like a million extra people over five years would die of the lockdowns, right? And there's a ton of play in those numbers, right? Could be two, could be five, could be 10, could be 0.5. All depends on things that they you know couldn't possibly forecast. But you've got to have people around you who support you, who love you, who understand these things and who are on the same page as you. And those are the things that I, I really you know keep coming back to with patients is make sure that you're in a positive community. People don't realize little things matter. Like church attendance actually reduces your risk of death. I mean, I had no idea that going to church reduced your risk of death, but it does. And people say, oh, it's just religion. It's just superstition. Well, then why does it reduce your risk of death? And even if you're not going to choose not to believe in it, maybe you should consider having a community that you go to Saturday, Sunday, something where you're connecting with other people around something, ideals, you know, greater than yourself and just, you know, your petty wants and needs. Yeah, and that, you know, just backpedaling to the pandemic, I mean, it was the worst of all worlds because you're indoors, so you're out of the sun, you're yeah. uh, quarantined, so like you're saying, the social aspect is completely cut off, except through Zoom, which of course we know is not the same. You're you're under fake light, you're probably surrounded by non-native EMFs. It was it was truly yeah. the worst of all worlds, which compounded the virus or your your ability to fight it off with with a boosted immunity. Gosh, so it almost just feels like a trap, right? A trap that made a lot of people a lot of money. Right. Biggest right. wealth transfer in the history of the world in two years. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> that's what that was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that leads right. us kind of, that's a good segue into this question. Why is health insurance one of the greatest scams in history? This yeah. one really resonated with me because that's why I personally left the allopathic model and started my own cash-based PT practice was because... I hate people telling me what to do. And in this case, the insurance companies were telling me how to treat. I felt I could treat patients better and quicker and more effectively with certain treatment modalities, but the insurance companies would not reimburse it. So I could not do that. So I said, uh, not dealing with this anymore, started my own cash base, just like you, Dr. Stillman. So then I could treat patients how I wanted to, and again, not be handcuffed by uh, health insurances. But But please kind of go down the, the, the rabbit hole of health insurance and, and why you believe it's a scam. Yeah. So um, the whole idea of health insurance arose in the 1940s and 30s. And it was FDR who mandated that employers would have to provide their employees their health insurance. When I started to think about health insurance back in my residency program, when I was training in internal medicine. I thought, this is a weird product, right? 
if you pay thousands of dollars a year in premiums and then all of a sudden you get hit by a bus, the health insurance company gets to keep it, right? But if you get cancer, they'll pay out hundreds of thousands of dollars for your treatment, whether or not you live or die. And I thought this was a little bit weird because I started to see things that made me really uncomfortable. Like, for example, um, most people listening to this probably don't realize that the, that the cancer doctors today will sell the chemotherapy they buy wholesale to the patient through the insurance company. So they submit the bill to the insurer, but they're buying it wholesale. And the wholesale markups that they make are unbelievable. We're talking hundreds of percent sometimes, thousands of percent, maybe tens of thousands, but I haven't looked at all of them. It's a lot of money on the table. It's a perverse incentive for a doctor to be selling a therapy to a patient. It's one of the reasons why with my like supplements and affiliate marketing, I set some of that money aside to actually do pro bono care because I can't handle the thought personally of compromising my my ethics. I now generate so much content that I, I'm not sure I could possibly give it all away and care, but I'm working on that. And But the, the doctors and hospital systems and whatever, they're all doing this because what happens when, for example, you shorten the visit time that a doctor has, the doctor has more uncertainty because they haven't been able to take as thorough of a history. They're more anxious and they're moving faster. And they need to impress the patient because the patient doesn't feel taken care of. So what do they do? They substitute instead of more time and care and face-to-face -face interaction with the patient, they order more lab tests, they order more imaging, and they order more referrals, and they order more medications. So what happens? The hospital corporation, which has a pharmacy that fills the medications, an imaging center that does the imaging, referral subspecialists who take the referrals, and labs that run the labs makes more money, right? So this is why patients will come to me and they'll have all this lab data and they'll have all these referrals and they'll have all these notes. I mean, hundreds of pages of consults and notes and labs and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, like I, I looked through your notes and your labs and whatever, and they didn't do the right ones and they didn't talk to you and they didn't take a history and they didn't talk to you about your diet and your lifestyle and they didn't change all this stuff. So of course you're not better. I don't need to like read all this in detail and take notes and submit some kind of like dissertation on why they're wrong to you. Let's just sit down for 30 minutes to talk about what's really mattering in your diet and your lifestyle. Let's make some changes and then tell me what happens. People get results. So anyway, that's how the perverse incentives are structured. When it comes back to health insurance, right? What the insurers make money on is having your premium in the bank or in some kind of financial instrument that then throws off some interest that they can then capitalize on, right? So they want your premium to be as high as possible. They want it to be as big as possible. So their incentive is to scare you with bills that they pay that are monstrously inflated so they can justify the higher premiums. You might say, why doesn't somebody come along with something cheaper and compete with them? And the answer is the insurance industry is a cartel. I know many people who've told me stories about trying to get an insurance company off the ground, and it's just been shot down because the government has said, no, because you have to have like certain approvals and there's certain regulations governing who can start an insurance company and who can't. So that's why health insurance is so broken. They're incentivized to maximize your premium. And then with the, with the scale of the fear mongering on the, the, the bill side, um, you know, there's a couple of examples that I'll give people. So the lab that I get from Genova Diagnostics for nutritional lab testing is like 415 right now. And I just charge people more for my time and then pass on the savings that I get to them. But when it comes to your insurance, if you submit to your insurance through Genova, they'll bill the insurer like $2,200. Well, the insurer could then say, well, we're going to pay $1,100 of that. You know, Mike, you're on the hook for $1,100. Well, you just paid $1,100 for a test that's $400. Does that make any sense? Of course, it doesn't make any sense. 
Then I started to compare this to car insurance. So you don't have car damage insurance and then car destruction insurance. You have car insurance. And then I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have life insurance and we have health insurance. But the demise of the product that you're insuring for damage is actually a good thing for the health insurer. As in, if you die, your health insurer gets to keep your money that you've already spent with them. You don't have to pay. They don't have to pay anything else for you. Your life insurance kicks in. But then I thought, wait a minute. What kind of product do I really want here? Like in a perfect world, I would have health and life insurance that were bundled together and I would pay in a certain amount of money and I would say, okay, I've paid in this money. Because if people have ever looked into like whole interest bearing life insurance policies, the numbers are insane. If you put in 10, 20, 30, $40,000 for a couple of years, which I realize is a lot more than a lot of people can afford. But if you do that for just two or three or four years, that policy then has enough capital in it to then accumulate wealth. And if you look at the payouts at the end of your life after 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you can turn a 50, $100,000 initial investment into millions of dollars because of the miracle of compound interest, which Einstein said was one of the seven wonders of the world. My point with that is this, I want a health and life insurance policy that pays out if I get sick or I die, and I want the insurance company to actually study how I live and what I eat and my labs. And I want them to figure out, okay, what are his habits? What is his lifestyle? And how do we guide him and our policyholders into better lifestyle habits? Imagine if you got, and then how do they incentivize that, right? Because if I were a health insurance company bundling health and life insurance, and I had people who I had like a fitness tracker app on them. So I was getting their data automatically and they were all going to sleep at 12 o'clock at night. And I noticed that if they would just shift their bedtime an hour earlier, I would pay for their medical care because I'm insuring them, right? Thousands of dollars a year less. You know what I would do? I would send them a letter and I would say, listen, I'm going to cut your premium by this much if you move your bedtime up to 11. Why don't we do that? We don't do that because the market's rigged. And the market is rigged because it's working for these incredibly corrupt, truly evil people. And it's all possible. It's all so incredibly possible. The more you think about it, the more you talk to other business owners about it. Because I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a doctor, but I'm also a business owner and an entrepreneur. They'll say, wow, you know, that would be amazing. It would be amazing if you would, if you, if, if every quarter or every month or whatever, my insurance company would give my employees this nudge, like, hey, you know, you tip the scales a little bit and we know why. And we'll cut your premium and you'll save money. But the insurance company is not interested in saving lives. They're interested in maximizing these short-term profits. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow up on them because people are just about ready to get out the pitchforks and throw the people out who, who are forcing them to buy these really terrible policies. And the way out right now is healthcare sharing ministries. Because you know a policy that I, I could probably, I could easily get a premium of like $1,000 or $2,000 for myself as a single adult with a really bad health insurance policy that wouldn't end up covering anything that I actually want, which I pay out of pocket anyway, but I can get my, my everything I need, catastrophic coverage, which is all I want for about a hundred something bucks a month through a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. And that right there shows you just what a scam the health insurance industry is. We're talking about a 10x difference in what I, I could pay and what I do pay from switching from conventional insurance to a healthcare sharing ministry. And is a healthcare sharing ministry like all over the place, every city, every state. Um, yes. across the, uh, across yeah. the They're in all 50 states. There's lots of different ones. There's Samaritan, there's Liberty, there's MediShare. MediShare is the one I have. I mean, you know, the thing is, I haven't submitted any bills to MediShare 
in my time with them because it like I don't have any reason to because everything I'm doing I'd, I'd rather just cover out of pocket they're not going to cover it because it's it's all very preventative none of it is routine care it's all more functional integrated medicine they just the reality is if they paid out a lot for that people would take advantage of it so I'm not not getting into that but I've had patients you know so many patients of mine are on these plans and they they never come to me and say wow you know they really they they didn't get me off the hook for this big bill because that's the thing about hospital bills is they're so inflated. You can bargain them down by 10, 100 fold if you know what questions to ask. Because the hospitals are getting stiffed by so many patients that if you're willing to pay them even a tiny fraction now and not take it to collections and not make a payment you know, six months or a year from now, they'll happily settle the debt for a much lower amount. And they're not telling people that. And people are, are have been lulled into complacency by American society. It's really funny to interact with people who have like recently emigrated because like you start like they immediately start negotiating you with anything that you want, you know, instead of just like this is the price. In America, it's like this is the price. And that's the thing about hospital bills is people got to realize they can haggle them down a lot. And the hospitals hate doctors like me who say that, but it's true. I didn't realize that that's actually almost more comical than it is useful. But like, like you said, I haven't done much international traveling, so I don't, and I, of course I've heard the stories, you go to a different country and people are, are bartering and, but not in America, you know, the price is the price. So it's interesting that even in a hospital, it's possible to haggle the price down. That's crazy. Well, that what they're doing is they're, they're shooting. They're like, okay, if we bill all the insurance companies five grand for an MRI, 30% of them will pay us four grand, 20% of them will pay us three and a half grand, 60% of them will pay us 2,500, and some of them will only pay us a thousand. And real cost is this. So if we overshoot by, by this much, then we make our costs or we get to make our you know numbers and we can all go on vacation or buy homes in the Hamptons. You know, I joke with, with people that Hospitals are very are very profitable nonprofits because all these people in healthcare are like it's a nonprofit, it's a foundation, it's a whatever. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Let's go to your parking lot. Let's see what kind of car you drive. You know, if you're driving like a Ford Fiesta and you're the hospital CEO, my hat is off to you. But he's not driving a Ford Fiesta. He's driving a Benz. He's driving a BMW. These people are not running truly charitable charities. They're very profitable nonprofits, and they are business people. And they are working the worker bees as hard as possible, which is why doctor suicide rates are incredibly high, which I also write about in the book. The male physician, male physicians commit suicide at about 1.4 to 1.5 times the general male populace. Female physicians, it's far worse. I think it's 2.27 times the suicide rate for female physicians. It's awful. It's a. Tr it's truly... It's actually really devastating the healthcare workforce. One of the points I make in the book is what kind of society creates such adverse working conditions that its most valuable professions, are like the military, like first responders, like doctors uh, and nurses, are committing suicide at extremely high rates. We all accept that our job is more stressful. That's why we get paid more. There's a certain amount of like people are like, oh, you're a doctor. There's like certain perks that come with this, right? But now they're now doctors are telling their kids don't become a doctor. Soldiers are telling their kids don't go into the military. You know, EMTs and firefighters are saying don't do this. They're saying go do something else. And the number of things that people are telling people to go do that's like fun and remunerative and and worth doing just seems to be shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking because 
of all these effects from the government um, eroding our freedoms, increasing our cost of living, increasing our taxes so we have less time, less money, and our dollars go less far, then people end up wondering, well, why are things so much worse? It's because the government is involved in all of these things. And once we get them out, things will improve immeasurably. Well, that's the million dollar question. How do we get them out? Because it's yeah, a so that is the million dollar question. Look like, yeah, they're they're almost well, like that's, they're too big to take down, right? Or there's so many, yeah, well, there, there's um, so many checks and balances within those, you yeah. know, the the terrible trio or whatever. Um, sure. And the government itself, it's like how how would that be possible? Practically speaking, on the individual level, this comes down to the difference between what's lawful and what's enforced. So, for example, let's say that I found a local farmer who was producing produce that I wanted to eat. And I said to him, hey, listen, normally for me to take care of your family with my staff uh, and be on call for you during business hours, Monday through Friday, um, with limited availability on weekends, anything urgent you need, antibiotics, labs, you got a, abdominal pain, whatever were there, I would price that at you know, 150 if it's the PA, 250 if it's just me for a single person, okay? I say that here's here's my my costs, right? Now, the reality is I'm paying a certain amount of tax to the government and the credit card processors for just having the interaction. You have to make that money, which means you have to pay taxes on it and you have to pay credit card processing fees in all likelihood. Our, our profits are eroded. And the more the government imposes all these costs on people, the more they're incentivizing people to participate in the gray market and the barter economy. And then you can get into the whole conversation about crypto, right? Now, technically, it's not legal for me to barter with someone and not report it to the IRS. So, of course, I don't do that. But the reality is that the government's passed so many laws that it's not possible for anyone to observe all of them all of the time. It's just absurd. So, you know, the reality is, are you going to, are people going to continue to observe laws that are grossly not in their best interests? to basically maximize the amount of taxes they're paying for services that aren't even there so that the government continue to oppress them. This is why like most of my patients are talking to me about buying land, starting a, a homestead, getting their own milking goats, their own laying hens, their own meat birds, their own meat. Somebody was telling me they're getting meat rabbits. I mean, my patients are all trying to go off grid. They're all trying to declare their independence from this system. They're all trying to homeschool their kids so they can insulate themselves from the insanity that the government is trying to funnel them into, which is really all about maximizing corporate profits because those people who are homesteading, who are feeding themselves, who they're healthy, they make their own food and they know that big tech is out to misinform them, not educate them. So they're not participating in the big tech Ponzi scheme of you know, consume more content and become ever more ingrained in this matrix and then get brainwashed through the and I'm always amused to see the ads I get on Instagram and TikTok. I mean, it's it's so ironic to me that one of the top advertisers that I get on these a, these apps are for ADHD medications. You give people appropriate sunlight, lack of you know constant stimulation, um, and a normal working schedule, which in my opinion is 20 hours a week. That's what most human beings historically have worked. Um, they won't have ADHD. They'll feel normal. They'll feel healthy. They'll be able to focus well. You know, people have ADHD today because there's too much happening. There's too much going on. There's too much stress in their life. They're not well nourished. And it's normal to work 80 hours a week uh, in order to get the success that people are, are told that they, they need to keep up with the Joneses, you know, on Instagram.
let me backpedal to the home setting for a second. I've noticed that too. A lot of people are starting to migrate to that lifestyle. At what yeah. point do you homestead in a different country and where? I asked one of my friends this the other day, and he said he'd ne- never leave America because, you know, of its freedom and and all, all yeah. the rights you have, which, you know, there's some truth to that, but your, your book would say otherwise in a lot of ways. So when would a person leave the country because there's so much disarray and so much fraudulent behavior at the governmental level? Like, when is there a breaking point? Yeah, I mean, America's still got this amazing backbone of people who respect the rule of law and want a, a society where there's equality before the law, you know, where people will be held accountable. And so, you know, I think that we're reaching a point where all these different crises that we see you know, between left, right, between, you know, are we going to do something like a Green New Deal or not? You know, are we going to lock down our economies ever again or not? You know, all these different tensions, right? That They're coming to this breaking point. And in that breaking point, right, there's a lot of chaos. There's also a lot of opportunity. At the end of the day, people still want to live here more than they want to live anywhere else, in part because, you know, there's more opportunity here. You know, it's funny. I was sitting at a, at a restaurant the other day, and I, and I ended up sitting next to this guy who was telling me about his concierge medicine doctor. This was in, in like West Palm Beach. So a very, very, I think one of the most expensive zip codes in the country is West Palm Beach. And, and particularly Palm Beach, which is actually not West Palm Beach. And he's bragging to me about how he's spending $40,000 a year on a doctor like me. And in my head, I'm doing the numbers. And I'm like, wow, I don't have to see a lot of patients if I'm making that much money per patient, do I? And the funny thing is I love taking care of regular folks who can't possibly afford to pay me that. And I would actually rather take care of them than a lot of the like people who are really like crazy who could pay me that. But that's another story. Anyway, the potential to make a lot of money is more in the United States. Otherwise, people like when Wall Street's moved from Manhattan to West Palm Beach, it's now called Wall Street South. And that might be Fort Lauderdale, Miami, I can't remember. But that's the idea, right? Is that it's now my Wall Street's moved from New York to Miami, or at least it's sort of split. And that's not happening in Central America and South America, which is where most Americans think of expatriating to. Because I've toyed with this because I am a telemedicine doctor, I could you know, be living like a king in Central America for a couple grand a month and then saving the rest. But I love seeing people in person. I still don't have an in-person office, but like I love like Dr. Gold or setting up this healthcare system. And it's so much fun to just go out to dinner with Dr. Gold and hang out, have a good time, sh- you know, share, share stories, share ideas. You can't, you can't share stories and ideas um, and network and make businesses start and, and create new things from you know, Costa Rica, with some exceptions, I mean, you'll be you'll be connected down there with other digital nomads and, and creatives, but it's a different crowd than you get on the ground in the United States. So that's my answer. I like it. And you mentioned crypto, which is an interesting aspect of potential freedom. And I've gotten quite into that myself the past year, year and a half. I've learned a lot. So from your viewpoint or from your knowledge, I don't know how knowledgeable you are in crypto, do you see that as an avenue to freedom for the people, taking the control from the government and from these massive entities and putting it into the yeah. people's hands? So this is a really cool aspect of gold care that I'm really excited about is that in gold care, Dr. Gold's new healthcare uh, service practice system, let's call it, you don't pay for clinician time with dollars, you buy tokens. And with those tokens, you can then buy time with a doctor. So it is going to be our own blockchain currency. 
I predict that more companies will do this because they want to have a store of value internally that they can then change the price of and peg it to where the dollar is. And it's really interesting because if you think about it, right, you know you're going to need healthcare. And if you're concerned about inflation, you could go out and buy these tokens for critical services that you know you're going to need. Um, and then you could have that store of value. You're effectively investing in the company in a way. Not a lot of people talk about this, but I think about it like, you know, you're going to eat. I mean, if you don't eat, you're going to die quickly. You can reduce your caloric intake, but not by so much. So you know you're going to eat. You know that your dollar right now is depreciating or, or being eroded in value by inflation. You know that the cost of restaurant food is going up and up and up and up and up, right? So one of the best investments people can actually make right now is buying bulk food. Because when you buy it at bulk, you get it at a huge discount. If you store it properly, it keeps forever. And if you're thinking about the amount of money you can save a family of four by buying in bulk, it's hundreds and thousands of dollars a year, particularly when you consider the fact that a third of the world's wheat and a fifth of the world's corn is produced in the Ukraine. And that country is currently in a war. They're selling you know, wheat and corn that was gathered six months, a year ago. We haven't even begun to see the rise in those commodity prices. So that's the kind of stuff I think about. It's the kind of stuff I, I talk about on group coaching calls with people because I find it fascinating and because it's it's funny to think about the amount of money people can save just with that simple change in their thinking about their food. And it also helps them to create like independence. Like I went to a farmer recently and I said, hey, I'm worried about the rising price of meat. You know, last thing I want to do is be spending, you know, 14 bucks for ground beef per pound. And I say to him, hey, you know, can I buy a, a pig off of you? Whole pig, split it up. I got three other people we're going to split it with. What, what's the price? And is, is, do you see your costs increasing? And he says, Leland, like, pig eats the things in the field that I own. I'm not experiencing price inflation. But you know what he will experience? He will experience people coming to him for a product he has that he can't necessarily produce more of on demand, right? So he'll run out of me. And if we don't, patronize these farmers, we lose the means of production, then you're completely dependent upon food that's coming in that can fluctuate massively with little things like wars in far off parts of the world that you can't possibly control or predict. Yeah. Being proactive and trying as much to prepare for the future as possible versus being reactive. And that's where it hurts both metaphorically and, and financially. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, well, Dr. Stillman, I think we've gone through quite a bit. Do you have any like last thoughts that we haven't talked about regarding the book? Do you want me to ask another question or two? You, you tell me what you have time-wise. No, I mean, I'll just wrap up by saying that there's lots in the book about people's environments, their lifestyles, what they're eating, what they're being told by big corporations, how it's misinformation, how it's disinformation. And then it's also practical tools for what to do about it. I realize there's a lot of fatigue out there from because there's a lot of frankly fear porn in the integrative and functional medicine space you know and people come in and thinking that you know everything they use and own has to be cruelty free and gluten free and non gmo and you know gluten free and all i mean it's like amazing it's like listen some of that actually doesn't matter that much um here's the stuff that really does matter and why it's so important and impactful and a lot of it is is things that people don't talk about in the health and wellness space, or that in my opinion, they don't emphasize because frequently they're, they're in a niche where they don't, and they haven't spent time clinically actually working with patients. So they don't know how powerful of a therapeutic modality or paradigm it is. Yeah. And I would highly, highly recommend 
everyone listening to this podcast, go go check out the book, go get it because it is full of great information. I mean, we scratched the uh, tip of the iceberg, so to speak. But as far as being able to connect the dots and see, kind of watch the paper trail and see how uh, run amok the system is. And like like uh, Dr. Stillman said, he has solutions for you. We didn't even get really into the E equals MC squared aspect of the book where yeah. he talks about energy. Right. He talks about air, water, food, cosmetics, uh, so on and so forth, and, and how they can improve your health for better or worse, or I should say modulate your health for better or worse. So right. uh, he has a lot of case studies, which are very empowering because then he's telling you about patients he's seen where he's made some minor tweaks, but it's altered their their health and wellness for for the better when allopathic right. medicine wasn't able to help them. So there's tons of information. It'll make you a much more critical thinker going forward, knowing the information he outlines in the book. So again, highly, highly recommend it. Go check it out. It is dying to be free. But without further ado, Dr. Leland Stillman, Dr. Mike Balkowski signing off of the Red Light Report. You all have a good week and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.